Today we're going to talk about having an open relationship, an open, honest relationship with God. Because you can tell Him anything. And last week we sort of established that God is for us and He's a friend. He can be a friend if you want Him to be. And so today we're going to talk about how, do you, how does it look like? What does it look like if I'm going to have an open, honest relationship with God? Now there are some people you want a really open relationship with. Doctors, I made a little list. You, you definitely want to be open with your doctor because you want your doctor to be honest with you and, you, and he can't treat you, she can't treat you well if, if they don't know what's wrong. And so you've got to tell them what's wrong. Um, mechanic, you've got to tell them what's wrong with your car. You hope that you have a relationship with a mechanic where they won't try to upsell you and sell you stuff you really don't need. That's the trouble with all of these things. It's a matter of trust. Do I trust that these people have my best interest at heart? Um, your spouse, your pastor, your parents, your accountant. <laughs> uh, you want to be open with them unless you're cheating, and then maybe you don't. And then uh, a friend, and I kind of put that at the end because last week we determined that God wants to be our friend. And we can be a friend of God, and He wants to be our friend, but we choose where that relationship goes. And if you're going to have a good, close relationship with God, and you can, then that will entail this matter of trust. Because I can trust him. Because remember last week we talked about God wants to be your friend. And, and this great verse in Romans, maybe one of the best news you're ever going to hear. Now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us, there's our word, friends of God. And because of Jesus, we can be God's friend. And as our friend, you can be open with him. But the problem is Americans aren't very truthful. There was a book a few years ago called When America Told the Truth. And in their research, they found that 91% of Americans lie. That means out of every 10 of you, 9 of you are big, fat liars. And so, uh, look to your right and your left. It could be those people. Maybe you're in a row with everybody that's telling the truth. But it was simple stuff like, yes, officer, I was obeying the speed limit. I mean, it's stuff like that. But we have a tendency, if we're not careful, to not tell the truth. And so... God wants us to be different than that. And if we're going to be his friend, we need to be different than that. And there are fibs that we sort of just tell sometimes. Checks in the mail. Um, I'll start my diet tomorrow. Um, give me your number and the doctor will call you right back. One size fits all. Lie, lie, lie. It's not even true. Uh, this will only hurt a little bit. Uh, I read a little uh, story. Uh, Shannon Brown, her husband is in the Air Force. And so she was at a a military hospital and getting some blood drawn for some testing that she needed done and she was chatting with the fellow the technician who was about to take her blood and and he was telling her that he was in such a much better mood now that his uh, his term of service was just about over evidently he didn't like being in the military very much he was excited about the prospect of being out of the military he told her that he'd only had a, a couple of months left before he was discharged and then he ask her the question and he said what does your husband do and she said well he's a recruiter and he said well this might hurt a little bit more than I thought and so uh, sometimes um, at least he was honest right but but oftentimes we're just not truthful do you all you may not remember this April 15th 1987 7 million American children disappeared that night. Y'all remember that? It wasn't like a UFO or a, ma a mass hijacking or anything like that. Uh, 
It was the IRS made a new law stipulating that if you claimed a child, they had to have a social security number. And so evidently, 7 million families were lying about their kids having actually children as dependents. And so all those children were wiped off the books, interestingly enough. We live in a society where people lie. You know it, I know it, it's kind of, it just is. And we're called to a higher standard. And so the question of the day is this. Am I going to treat God like an acquaintance? Or am I going to treat God like a friend? Because you can do either. It's your choice. Now, with an acquaintance, it's going to be reserved. I'm going to have caution. I'm not going to tell everything. Because I don't know if I can trust that person. Uh, sometimes I'll go to a conference and I'll meet other pastors. And while pastors are typically trustworthy, I don't know them very well. And so when we engage in conversation, it is always surfacy because I don't know them. And I, we'll talk about, you know, where you live and your kids and your wife. And, and we'll talk about, you know, where's your church and that sort of stuff. We'll surface it up. We'll be acquaintances. And as the week goes on, you might open up a little bit more. But I also have a group of pastor friends who I share about anything with. Some local guys that I meet with once a month and we develop a camaraderie and a relationship and I feel like I can trust those guys with deeper sort of stuff. A lot of it has to do with trust. Do I trust that they are going to keep a confidence? Remember a minute ago uh, with your doctor, do you trust that they're going to tell you the truth? I mean, do you trust that they know what they're talking about? And with God, is he going to be an acquaintance? Am I just going to be surfacy with him? Or can I, do I dare have a deeper relationship of trust with God? Now, we see things in the Bible like this when Jesus says, be perfect just as your heavenly Father is perfect. And if perfection is the requisite for me having a relationship with God, I'm just not going to be able to do it. Probably you're not either. Now, I don't know about you, but perfection is a pretty high standard, and I don't hardly ever meet that. And so now I'm like, okay, well, I can't be perfect, so maybe I can't have that different level of relationship with God. However, however, remember last week we talked about that God wants to be our friend. And maybe when Jesus was saying this, he was saying, look, 91% of Americans lie, but that shouldn't be us. I mean, we're followers of Christ. We should be a little bit better than that. And then there's this great text in Romans that talks about our relationship with God as a friend. Look what it says. If God is for us, who can be against us? God didn't spare his own son, but handed him over to death for all of us. Who will accuse those whom God has chosen? God has approved of them. Who will condemn them? Christ is in the honored position. Some translations say at the right hand of God. He's in the honored position the one next to God, the Father, on the heavenly throne, Christ intercedes for us. You know what intercede means, right? He, he's your advocate. He's for you. One of the most disheartening things about the COVID epidemic in our country has been when someone goes to the hospital, that there's, they're not allowing people in the room with them. I hate that. Because... As great as nurses are and, and those who attend to patients, they, they have a lot of people to take care of and they're, they have a lot of things on their mind. And it's just better when there's an advocate in the room with a person who's sort of monitoring them and seeing that they're okay. And I can tell you this, if I was in the hospital, I'd really, really want my wife there. 
I'd really, really want somebody who was an advocate there. I had a heart attack when I was 40. I loved it when Miriam was there because I knew that she cared. She was close. She was going to take care of me as best she could. We all need an advocate. And when I read this, that Christ intercedes for us, I think, here's the picture. God is on the throne and Christ is saying, hey, this is my friend. He's, he's my boy. That's my boy right there. He's, he's one of me. I mean, he's one of us, and he's, 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 he's good. He's cool. And yeah, he messes up, but, but look, he, he's, he's just, he's, he's one of us. I, I, this is one of my favorite verses. I love the idea that Jesus, number one, knows me. But not only does he know me, but he, he's for me. Not only is he for me, but he's vocally for me. When you intercede, you actually are, are saying something. Sometimes I'm on Twitter and I'll see something and I'm like, I don't agree with that or I agree with that. I, I'm not going to say anything. I mean, I don't, I don't want to get involved, right? I don't get involved. Uh, you know, Duke is going to make the NCAA tournament? No! I mean, I want to I say, no, that's, that's not from God. Uh, but I don't want to get involved. I'm not going to say anything. Well, when it says he intercedes, he's involved. He's involved in your life. And I want to show you a verse, and I hardly ever do this, but I'm going to encourage us to memorize this verse. You need to internalize this verse. This verse will change your life because the truth of it is so impactful. Give all your worries and cares to God. Because He cares for you. Give all your worries and cares to God, for He cares for you. Think about the words. 13 words. It's just 13 words. You can do this. 1 Peter 5, 17. Give all your worries and cares to God, for He cares about you. You can give Him some of your worries. No, it says all. So this morning I was driving into to, to, to to preach, and I'm like, okay, well, let me think about this verse a little bit. Can I really give all my worries and cares to God? And so I started to pray. Sometimes when I'm driving in, I'll listen to a sermon or I'll listen to music or something. Uh, but today I thought, I'm just going to leave. It's going to just be me and God. And I'm, I'm, I turned everything off, and I didn't have any sound going in the car. And I started to think about, okay, so these are the things that, uh, that I care about. And these are the things that worry me a little bit. I started praying about them. I don't have a lot of worries, but I have some worries. I don't know that I always express them to God, but I kind of do. But I thought, I'm really going to put this verse into practice. Give all your worries and your cares to God, for He cares about you. Now, if we internalize, if if this becomes kind of part of how we do life, it will change the way we do things. Because now I'm showing, I'm expressing a level of trust that says, I, I believe that God knows what's going on. I, I don't think I can say anything to God that will make him think less of me. I don't think I can say anything to God that will cause him to abandon me. I don't think I can say anything to God where he'll reject me, because that's really the issue about opening up to somebody, right? I'm afraid to open up because... They might not like me once they know me. I mean, that's it, right? Uh, a person goes from an acquaintance to a friend when you can open up a little bit. 
And they become a good friend when you can tell them just about anything. So today we're going to look at a guy named David. You've heard of him. He wrote a lot of the Psalms, a lot of the Old Testament, a lot, a lot, but there's some of the Old Testament written about him. He had ups and downs. He had self-inflicted you know, problems, and sometimes problems just came to him. But David talks about how God knows us in the 139th Psalm. I'm going to show you a couple of verses of that, but let me tell you something. The, the, whole, the whole chapter, the whole psalm is amazing. But he says this. He says, Lord, you've examined my heart and you know everything about me. By the way, this is simultaneously the sweetest and scariest verses uh, because just think about it. God knows me, but it's like, oh, God knows me. can be both, right? He says, Lord, you've examined my heart and you know everything about me and you know when I sit down and when I stand up and you know my thoughts, uh, even when I'm far away. And you see me, by the way, even when I'm far away, that should say, even when I'm in Vegas, uh, 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 even when I'm far away, you see me when I travel, when I rest at home, you know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it. And I wish that God had a mute button, don't you? I mean, I wish several times, if he knows what I'm about to say before I say it, I wish he would mute me, but he doesn't. But good grief, think about how intricately he knows you. David goes on to say, he knew me from my mother's womb. He always has known me, which means he's always known you, which is, again, sweet and scary at the same time. He knows everything about us. So you can be open with him because he already knows what you're thinking. He knows everything you do. He knows what you're about to say. You're not going to shock him. God's not going to say, oh man, I don't, I don't think we can be friends. Oh, no, 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 we, you're too weird for me. God's not going to say that. He doesn't say that. He says right here, God, you know everything about me. You just know everything about me. And we can be open and honest with him because, well, look what James says. Come close to God, and God will come close to you. It doesn't say God will come close to you if you're not weird, or God will come close to you if you've never done anything wrong, or God will come close to you if he approves of you, or God will come close to you if uh, you don't turn him off. It doesn't say that. Here's a, it's a guarantee. You draw close to God, and God will draw close to you. He guarantees it. You're not going to tell him anything that's going to cause him to reject you. So you can trust him. And trust and friendship go hand in hand, and he is a friend that you can trust. So when can you trust him? When can you really be honest with God? Well, I'm glad you asked. You can be honest to God when you're sad. David right here says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. And you're going, well, how would he know? He's a king. What does a king know about broken hearts? What does a king know about rejection? What does a king know about uh, having disappointments? Well, glad you asked. David had a boss. His name was Saul. Saul was the king. He brought David into the court, the king's court. So David is elevated from shepherd boy. He was the youngest son. Which, by, As the youngest son, I think this is a great story. Uh, he was elevated from shepherd to a role in the king's entourage, if you will. And David was popular, and he was handsome, and he was effective, 
and he became a warrior, and he was a mighty warrior, and everybody loved David, and Saul got jealous. And Saul kind of turned sour, and Saul tried to kill David, and Saul chased David around and tried to kill him, and he had a hit put on his life from his boss. Now, I don't know how bad a job yours is, but it's probably not that bad. David knew what sorrow was when David... David had the guilt of committing adultery with a woman called Bathsheba. Then he complicated it, he exacerbated it by not only does he have the guilt of having an affair, but then he has his mistress's husband killed, and he has to live with that guilt. And then it's made public. You talk about shaming somebody. Nathan shamed him. The priest says, you know, hey, David, we all know what you did. It's one thing to do it in the secret. And by the way, God knows in secret. It's one thing to do it in secret. And you think it's, it's been kind of tucked away. And then all of a sudden people find out that David knows that. David's experienced that. There's nothing like being found out. Oh, my word. David knew that. David had a son who died at seven days old. He knows what heartbreak is. David had another son. His name was Absalom. He was handsome. He was popular. This son decided that he wanted to be king rather than his father, and so he instigated a coup against his dad that was successful for a time. I mean, David knew what it was like. When he says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted, he's writing from experience. It's not theory. It's practice. You can tell God when you're sad. Maybe you simply write it down. God, I'm, I'm just sad. I had a family in Clovis, New Mexico. They experienced a tragic death. And the best I can remember, it's been a long time since I was there, but I think the girl that passed away was 18 years old, and the family was very upset. And one of the uncles, I rem- I'll never forget, I, I remember, I can, I can picture the room the uncle said to me, Pastor, I'm going to be honest with you. Everyone in our family is a little ticked off at God right now. Now, I don't have to defend God. <laughs> I felt the need at that point, and I said, well, you know, it's good that God's not ticked off at you. I really didn't need to say anything because God, him saying it wouldn't have changed, him not saying it wouldn't have changed the fact that they were ticked off at God. He was just expressing <laughs> what they were feeling David did it all the time. In fact, David was known after a, a God after man's own heart. Uh, I'm sorry, a man after God's own heart because he talked to God like a friend. He, look at this verse. I cry aloud to the Lord. I lift my voice to the Lord for mercy. There is this bitterness that seeps in if we're just not honest and God's not some petulant king that's going to zap you if you say well I'm a little bit ticked off with you right now I'm a little bit angry I'm very sad that things haven't gone my way you think about this in scripture it talks about guys who were friends of God there was Moses Abraham Abraham one time has a negotiation session with God he had read Art of the Deal by Donald Trump, and uh, he decided he's going to have this negotiation time with, with God. 
And so he negotiates, and God is like, hey, Abraham, I'm about to wipe out this city. And, and, and Abraham's like, no, 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 uh, it, would you do that even if there are 50 good people there? It's like, oh, maybe not. What about 45? No, what about 40? I mean, he keeps negotiating with God. You know what that means? He's a friend. He negotiated with God. Moses, oh man, Moses is amazing. So God leads this people. He you know, miraculously delivers his people out of slavery in Egypt. They get into the wilderness. They're wandering around. God provides for them food. He provides water. They complain about everything. They are the whiniest people on the planet. They go from being slaves to being free. And all they can do is complain. Well, at least when we were slaves, we had food. Yeah, well, you didn't have much food. And you worked every day. And you worked until, they, until you died and you were replaceable. Now you have freedom. There's nothing like freedom. And so God says to Moses, this is a really interesting conversation God has with Moses. And God says to Moses, look, bring these people into the promised land. I'll, I'll provide, but I'm not going. Because if I do, I'll kill them. It's kind of what he says. It's kind of that's a rough translation. I, I've had I've had it all. I've, yeah, they're driving on my last nerve. I can't take them anymore. And Moses, <laughs> I love what Moses says to God. If you're not going, I'm not going. If you're not going to go with us, I'm not going to go either. And God's like, okay, I'll go. I mean, it's like this is these amazing conversations these guys have with God. So David is just really, really open with God. And he writes down these times when he's sad. They're called Psalms of Lament. 67 times David writes down Psalms of Lament. He was the original blues writer, evidently. And kind of singing the blues. Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. And he writes these things down because he knows he's got a friendship with God. And so maybe you need to write it down. Maybe you just need to say, Lord, I'm sad that it seems I have more month than money. This makes me sad. I'm sad I'm still alone. I thought I would be with somebody by now, but I'm not, and I'm sad about this. Lord, I'm sad that things aren't going my way at work. Somebody got a promotion, and I got passed over, and I feel like I'm much more qualified than they are, and this makes me sad. Lord, I'm sad about the state of our country. I thought that you would do more than this or uh, be different than this, and I don't like it, and Lord, I'm sad about it. You're not going to surprise God with how you feel. And he (laughs) isn't going to be offended by that. So if you're sad, you can be honest with him. You can also be honest with him when you're mad. Look at what (laughs) David says. I spill out all my complaints before him. I spell out my troubles. I spill and I spell. I tell God this is... What I don't like, this is what I do like. These are the things that are going on in my life. I spill out and I spell out. You all might know this old story, but it's a good one. There's this um, elderly woman and she comes to church one Sunday and a a very kind uh, man greets her and and one of the ushers and he said, where would you like to sit? And she said, I want to sit in the front row. And he said, no, you really don't want to do that. Our preacher's really boring and you don't want to sit up front. And she said, young man, do you know who I am? said, no, I don't. And she said, I am the pastor's mother. And he said, well, do you know who I am? And she said, no. He said, good. Uh, so <laughs> we have this tendency to hide from God, to not be like open. We have a tendency. 
It started with Adam and Eve. You recall what happened? Adam and Eve sinned, and what did they do? First thing they did, they hid. We hide from God as if God doesn't know what we're talking about. Look at what David says in the 13th Psalm. How long, Lord? I mean, you talk about getting after God. And I'm, uh, as I read this, I want you to think, I don't know, would you do this? Would you, would you be this open with God? How long, Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Would you do that? Because that's a little scary to talk to God like that. But see, friends can work it out. Friends can be honest. I've told you many times about my best friend growing up, Mike Wilson. Mike Wilson is still a great friend of mine. We were like brothers. We grew up in a neighborhood where, back in the day, where you'd get on your bike in the morning and you'd go down to the park and then you'd come home and you'd get lunch and then you'd drive back down to the park on your bike by yourself. Nobody's keeping up with you. No parents. No nobody. We down there, we were playing basketball or baseball or tennis or whatever we were playing. Jackson Park. It was great. And we'd hang out until the evening. And Mike and I were, were thick as thieves. And on occasion, we'd get sideways with one another, and we'd argue, and sometimes, there's one time in football, uh, we were playing, and I'm fairly certain he cheated. And, um, uh, and I got really mad at him, and we got in a shoving match. We aren't fighters, and we aren't going to fight or anything. We just kind of shoved, you know, and kind of acted like we were bad, and we weren't bad. It was like, uh, beat it! I mean, nobody's fighting, actually. We just kind of acted, kind of cocky. And all of a sudden, it was like, okay, it's just dumb. We'll just be friends. I mean, it didn't last long. You can be honest with your friends. And so we're back to the question, is God going to be my acquaintance or is he going to be my friend? Because he will be either, but you choose. Am I going to be a real friend? And a lot of times people say, well, I can't be a friend of God because he doesn't do what I think he ought to do. Well, let me ask you this question. If you have a friend and you become not their friend because they don't do what you want to do, what does that say about you as a friend? I mean, think about that. There was this huge survey done of tens of thousands of Christians and they asked the question, when is the time you've grown most spiritually? Now, I I read this with anticipation. I was eager to see because I was fairly certain the thing that transforms people's lives from uh, sort of spiritual to really spiritual, I was fairly certain the the number one thing was going to be transformational teaching, preaching. I just knew it. Not, Not number one. So I told Chris and Chris was like, oh, I'm sure it's energetic worship music. Nope, not really. Not small groups, although those are very important. I think you ought to be in a small group. That wasn't the number one thing. It wasn't finding a place to serve, which is also very good. It wasn't reading deep theological books. The number one thing that brought somebody from somewhat spiritual to more spiritual, the number one thing that accelerated their spiritual growth was pain. (laughs) It's because when you have pain, you decide, is God going to be my acquaintance or is God going to be my friend? We're putting an ad out pretty soon, a new minister here. We're going to call him the Minister of Pain. And uh, we're going to see how we can get you all in trouble. Uh, So if it's the number one thing that grows us, maybe when things happen, we stop asking, 
why me? And we start asking, what me? God, what are you trying to teach me? Because you are my friend, and I trust you to be my friend. Pain makes us decide. When you're building muscles, and I don't know a lot about this, obviously, but when you're building muscles, what they say is you have to break down the muscles in order to build up the muscles. And so you'll, let's say you want your chest muscles to to bulk up and so you do bench presses and you do that and there are little micro tears in your muscles and you don't do it every day because you have to give your body time to replenish and so I remember when I was doing some of these things when I was much much younger you'd work on your arms one day and your chest one day and your legs one day because you wanted to rotate it so that your muscles could respond are you going to be God's friend only when it's going good for you Or can you be his friend even when things don't seem to go your way? Again, look at David. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts day after day, have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? This is the first part of Psalm 13. Look at the end of Psalm 13. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. He starts out, God, what are you doing? He ends with, you're still my friend. It's a beautiful, beautiful psalm. God, I'm really mad at you, but you're still my friend. Which brings me to the third thing. We can be honest with God even when we're glad. We really should be. We should praise him when good things happen. God, I'm, I trust you. There's our word. I trust. Because that's what delineates a friend from an acquaintance. I trust them. I read a kind of a comical story about a, a first mate on a ship in the 1800s. Back then, the ship's log was law. It was a big deal. And the captain didn't like the first mate very much, and he got intoxicated and got drunk one day, and so in the log he wrote, first mate drunk. Now the first mate knew that would really reflect, reflect poorly on him when they got back to shore and probably prohibit him from getting another job, but the captain didn't care and really didn't like the first mate, and so the first mate begged him to take that out, and the captain said, it is true, and it's staying in the log. No mercy. A few days later, the first mate is keeping the log. And he makes an entry and he says this, um, So far today, the captain has remained sober. Which was true. But the captain read that and he, and he knew the implications. And he said, look, you, you can't write that. And the, and the first mate said, it's true and it's going to stay. See, there's a difference between telling the truth and telling the whole truth. Are you going to... Are you going to dance around the edges with God or are you just going to be open? See, sometimes the motive is wrong. When I'm honest with God, it makes me be honest with myself. You don't have what you ask for because you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. So what is my motivation? See, being honest helps me be honest with myself. If I'm honest with God, I can be honest with myself. And so... Are you going to choose to be an acquaintance of God's? Or are you going to choose 
to be his friend. Now, David understood some things about his own situation. Number one, he brought some of it on himself. The adultery thing, he brought on himself. By the way, after he was publicly shamed for that, he writes the 51st Psalm. And in it, he says, against you, you only have I sinned. And that has always bothered me, just to just be honest with you. It's like, it wasn't just against God he sinned. He also sinned against Bathsheba. He sinned against her family. He sinned against Uriah and his family. And then I read a commentary, and I thought, it's profound, and it's true. Whenever we sin against somebody, we also sin against God. Because that person was created in God's image and God would have never had us do that. And so it really ultimately is against God that we're sinning. So sometimes David brought it on himself. Here's the beauty of understanding being honest with ourselves. If I'm going to be honest with God, I can be honest with myself. The beauty of it is, even if it's self-inflicted, there's this great text in 1 John that says, if we confess our sins to God, He can always be trusted to forgive us and take away our sins. He can always be trusted to do that. Like any good friend, he's willing to accept our apology. I read an interesting article a couple of weeks ago. Um, The VA, uh, the Veterans Administration uh, Hospital in Lexington, Kentucky, a few years ago had a couple of um, court settlements that really went against them. And so the lawyers had been advising doctors, never admit you make a mistake, always act like you did you know, nothing wrong. Well, they had had a couple of these instances go to trial, and they had lost, and they had lost bigly. And so they came up with a different strategy. And they said to their doctors, if you make a mistake, admit it and apologize. And they started to do that. Imagine somebody telling the truth. They admitted it, and they apologized. And what they found was really interesting. People were much more willing to forgive. Now, they still had to settle, but they settled out of court for much less expense. Evidently, honesty is the best policy. There's a guy by the name of John Alexander, and he writes this, and I think it's really clever and, and clear. Sin is the best news there is because with sin, there's a way out. You can't repent of confusion. You can't repent of psychological conflict or flaws inflicted by your parents, which is kind of what we're told today. Well, it's, you haven't sinned, it's just your, your parents' fault, or uh, it's, it's just a, a mistake. Well, no, it's not, it's sin. Because you're stuck with those things. But if you have sin, you can repent of sin. Sin and repentance are the only grounds for hope and joy, the grounds for recon- to be reconciled in a joyful relationship. I like that. The other thing that, David noticed was, number one, about his troubles is sometimes they were self-inflicted. And even when they weren't, God knows what he's doing. And this is, this, this is a little text, I, I don't know that I really ever thought about it before, but look at this. He's talking about, David is talking about, writing about when Moses delivered, um, when God delivered uh, Moses and the Israelites through the Red Sea. Y'all remember that? There's a parting of the Red Sea, and, and the Israelites go through, and then uh, the, the, uh, the Egyptians come in after them, and the, and the waters close in on them. So he says, your path led through the sea, your way through the mighty waters, though your footprints were not seen. God has a stealthy ninja-like way about him. He is working history toward an end. There's a climax coming. God is taking even bad things 
and working them for good. We see that in Scripture. And so, even when we don't see His footprints, we don't maybe feel Him there, even then, He is guiding us where He wants us to be. Which means I can be honest with Him. Let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious Father. He already knows You be honest with God, here's the thing, he'll be honest back. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, 78 times. (laughs) It's almost as if Jesus is saying, if you'll be honest with me, I'll be honest with you. Because that's really what you want. I mean, we want God to be honest with us. We don't want him to tell us just what we want to hear. When I go to my doctor, I don't want him to tell me just what I want to hear. I want him to tell me the truth. When I go to the Lord, I don't want him to tell me just what I want to hear. I want, to tell him, I want him to tell me the truth. So today is a day where you have to answer the question, are you ready to make God more than an acquaintance? He'll be your acquaintance, but he wants to be your friend. You can be honest with him. You can be open with him. He will not reject you. I promise he won't. But you still have to choose if you're going to be open with him or not. He already knows. You get to choose. Father, we're thankful for your word and your friendship that you've promised to us, that you offer to us, and that you give to us. I pray that today we might, if we're here today, we've been an acquaintance of yours and we kind of, We've held you at arm's distance. We like knowing that you're around. We just don't know that we want to have you close. Lord, I pray that if, if any of us are like that today, that we would pull you close. I like your promise where you say, if we draw near to you, you'll draw near to us. Lord, I, I, if there's folks here today that need to draw near, I pray that that would happen today. May they, in their prayer life and in their lives, just begin to be brutally honest with you. We pray this humbly, in Jesus' name, amen.